welcome to the Liberated Porch Podcast. I'm your host, Kit Morgan, licensed social worker and therapist. Join me as I sit down with guests to chat about finding liberation through social justice and mental health. This is a pre-recorded episode that I did with Sarah J. Ruthless, who is based in the Chicago area. And as we were recording this episode, Sarah had mentioned about a show that they were doing that came up called God is Naked. Since the publication of this episode, that was performed and it was a hit, it was a success, and it is not a surprise to me as Sarah J. Ruthless is one of the most funny and talented people I know. Sarah J. Ruthless is a comedian, actor, writer, and interior designer, everything in between. Welcome to the Liberated Porch, Sarah. Hi. I am so excited to have you here. Did you know I'm originally from Indiana? No, I knew you'd mentioned something about being from the Midwest. Did we talk about this? Where in Indiana are you from? So I'm originally from South Bend. Shut the fuck up. That's where I live sometimes. What? what? We probably That's know so some crazy. of the same people. We probably you. do. When did you leave? Oh my god. I left in 2019. Oh, we were definitely there at the same time. Wait, were we? Maybe not. You left there at 2019. Yeah. Yeah, no, we were there at the same time. I lived there from what? That's fucking wild. So I was in dive bars a lot. Wait, yeah. wait, what is your favorite dive bar around there? After college, I dated this asshole, moved across the country for him. When that imploded, needed a place to stay. And my sister was living in Mishawaka at the time because her <laughs> husband's family was from there. So I was like, cool, I'll crash on your couch for a minute. And yeah. started, uh, yeah, working at bars and was like in my early 20s and had just gotten out of this abusive relationship and was like all the compounded trauma of like <laughs> that looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, it was all like the anger and frustration of like leaving religion. And I just like hadn't connected the dots yet, but I was like, yes. oh, alcohol. And also they just like give you cocaine here. Like yeah. they really, it's just everywhere. And it's so it bad. It's just the worst quality cocaine in the world is in Mishawaka, <laughs> Indiana. I'm pretty sure. I haven't like, done a <laughs> test study, but I'd, I'd bet money on that one. <laughs> Hung out a lot at a bar called The Phoenix. Hope- oh, I know The Phoenix. Yep. Yeah, it's it's the worst. I mean, it's, you know, it's <laughs> God. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I worked at a place called Doc Pierce's. Doc Pierce's was literally the place that I would go to for my birthday. Like as a oh kid, my God. Like, I felt so fucking fancy getting the French <laughs> onion soup with yep, the bread and the cheese. I don't know what wizardry they do for that French onion soup, but oh it is God. the best French onion soup that I have had of my entire life. Yeah, it's pretty good. I cannot believe you've been to that restaurant. That's really <laughs> fucking wild. Oh my god. Oh wow. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I grew up on the south side of South Bend. Okay. So did you grow up in South Bend? Or I where did, did not. You grow up? I oh man. I I'm a missionary kid. So okay. it's I oh my god. I was uh born in Paris. Um, and then we moved to San Francisco when I was four and then moved to Hawaii when I was 12 and my parents rejoined YWAM. 
Um, and then like the second I was done with high school, I'm the youngest. My parents had always wanted to go back to Europe for ministry because Jesus calls them to really cool places conveniently. And um, they went to start their own YWAM base in the south of France. And I went to college in Canada. And that's a whole other long story. But yeah, then after I was in Vancouver going to school and then um, followed asshole boyfriend to Ottawa. And then Ottawa was just a you know hop, skip and a jump away from Indiana. So <laughs> I ended up there and then like decided to just like proper like I did like a proper like opposite of a testimony story you know like I started out born into the faith and then like wrestled with it and questioned it and then like ended with like sex drugs and rock and roll and was like fuck everything um, <laughs> yeah you know now. that was me minus the drugs and alcohol but mm -hmm. yeah I went like pretty wild after I left a resurgent like I feel like I did like my teen years over again in my early 20s like I just didn't do anything as a high schooler not even that much in college like and then the second I was out I just like did all the stuff I had never been allowed to do <laughs> no me too and I'm just like I'm totally okay yeah. I live in upstate New York now and people talk about how bad the drug problem is and I'm like, oh, you don't know what it was like living in the South Bend, Mishawaka area. Oh my God. where people think the drug problem's bad in upstate New York? <laughs> yeah, where it's like South Bend doesn't have an inpatient chemical dependency treatment program. Oh. You know, you very often, well, at least I saw this very often, saw drug paraphernalia just mm -hmm. down on, on the streets and, and everything. How many young people die from totally preventable overdoses there's a complete lack of education and that's, mm -hmm. that's just the drug education that's not even to say anything of the like complete and utter lack of sex education yes. and then the like super ingrained religious it's more catholic but that's still not great when it comes to kids having sex like everyone's a teen mom here like it's hardly a joke <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> whenever i got to my late 20s i was like oh my god I'm so old and I'm childless. <laughs> and then people were like, what are you talking about? Like, you're so young. And like, of course you don't have any kids. Like that's normal. It's this very unique area and a lot of what goes on there and the systemic problems that happen there are really due to religion blocking education yeah. and policy. I'm wondering what that's like for you and being in that area whenever having left religion. Looking back on it, I can see kind of the narrative thread a lot more clearly. Arriving in Indiana, I had, I was just piss and vinegar. I had so much hate in my heart. I was so determined to just like run myself into the ground. I didn't fucking care. I wanted to like go out in a blaze of glory. Fuck this shit. Fuck everyone. And got pretty close. <laughs> I actually ended up homeless <laughs> for about five months. Mm. Um, which all things considered, there's worse places to be homeless, but I definitely can't recommend being homeless in Indiana. No. Um, and it's, it's rough. It's rough. It's not ideal. The biggest things I'd questioned so much about Christianity my whole adolescence and felt super frustrated with a lot of it. I didn't realize until I got to Indiana that one of the things I was still had to unlearn was like being taught my whole life that the rest of the world is shitty 
and fucked up and everyone's broken. Everyone's, everyone's a mess. Everyone's just like divorced and sad and everything sucks. This is now, this sounds totally antithetical to what we were just saying about the drug problem. It, it is pretty bad in Indiana. It is. But like, you know, I was taught to believe that everyone was just like having premarital sex and their life sucked. And, mm-hmm. and then I got to Indiana and really like I was drinking with the demons that were too dark for Sodom and Gomorrah. Like I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> drinking with the worst of them. You don't know dark until you like having a beer at 7am at Murphy's. <laughs> it's rough. But the amount of fucking good people I found there, again, I was homeless. I had to hitchhike a lot. The amount of people that just took care of me for no reason and like, I'm lucky and I'm, I can't discount the fact that I'm also like a white and at the time super femme presenting person, you know, being a skinny, sad looking little white girl at the time, like people took pity on on me in a way that they wouldn't have to other folks. But I would pass out in bars and wake up in a stranger's home who would like take care of me and make sure I was okay and be like, yeah, you're kind of acting like a piece of shit. Get your shit together. We don't like it when you're like this. <laughs> now, it's so interesting that you say that because in growing up in that area, I've been asked by people from upstate New York, they're like, how did you survive? And I was like, well, the neighborhood helped me survive. Because that's the thing about that area. Yeah, there are so many issues there. But at the same point, there's these people who will always look out for you. Like, it was so interesting, because it would be like any little, I guess, like snafu or whatever that I would get myself caught in there would be someone that would just appear Mm -hmm. and help me, which was a very strange phenomenon. Yeah. Because after leaving religion where I was like, am I atheist? But then I would have these people just pop up and be like, Hey, I'm here to help, you know? And there was just something very lovely about having that and almost a sense of safety, even whenever things weren't so safe yeah and like yeah don't get me wrong i i woke up in houses that weren't so safe either but like overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. when you write it all down the amount of people that like were genuinely kind and these were the godless people yeah i think that's what exactly bewildered me so much Mm -hmm. and those are the ones who were the nicest to me and you know what they never ever fucking did they never once sat me down and said you know, God told me to tell you. <laughs> nope. They didn't give Never a shit. Did that. They, just, they just want you to be a good person and stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Kind of wrestling with my demons in this space that was so much safer and kinder to me than any church, any youth group, any room full of religious folks that I'd ever been around really mm-hmm. helped me detangle a lot of that. And yeah, it was one day I was bartending there and I don't remember what I was even talking about. I was having a conversation with a patron and he said something like, well, yeah, you're an atheist, right? And I was like, oh my God, I haven't, oh my, am I? I, Like I hadn't been asked that question in so long because I'd been, you know, in these circles for so long. And I, I don't know, rambled off some, you know, vague answer that didn't really answer it. But like, I kind of knew in my heart, yeah, I, Mm -hmm. I am. I like wasn't ready to say it out loud yet, but I knew, I knew that like whatever like trauma cycle needed to be completed. I'd like finally gotten like one notch of closure of like, yeah, that, that door's closed. That chapter's done. Still a lot of like unpacking and healing and 
you know, figuring out to do, but like, yeah, I have a name for that now. Yeah, that's what I am. It can be so liberating and validating to Mm -hmm. be seen in that kind of a way. And also just be reflecting on a question like that whenever being associated with people in high control religion for so long and then being like, wow, I have really broken out of this so much that now people don't see me with that association. Yeah. (laughs) So where are you now? I'm actually just a few hours south of Ottawa. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The story just keeps getting weirder. (laughs) I know, right? Wild. (laughs) So I live in upstate New York. I live in the Adirondacks. Okay, cool. I went to Ottawa last fall and I was like, why is this the Midwest, except people say A <laughs> instead of O. Like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Like I went to the border patrol and oh my God, like, it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like they said a dad joke to me. Yeah. Like, no, I literally. Like... I went to college right outside of Vancouver in a little place called Langley and it was really close to the border. So we would often like drive across the border to like get beer and stuff <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. um, as you do. And like, it was such a joke going into the United States from Canada, you needed a passport and like seven pieces of identification. There's like SWAT teams with literal assault rifles, like walking back and forth. It is so intense. And then going from Canada or from the US into Canada, it's like one guy in a booth who's like, hey, have a nice day. <laughs> exactly like every time people ask me they're like oh what's it like crossing the border because like I'm closer to Montreal Mm -hmm. and I'm like you know it's really not hard going into Canada they just take one look at me yeah yeah you're queer like it makes sense why you're coming over and then like the American guards are like no we just like want Canada to keep all the queers and you know and then they give me a hard time you know ridiculous yep Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So your last name is Joanno. Yes. Wow. You said it correctly. Oh my gosh. Yes. You might be the first person ever. Yeah. So my, this is a story that didn't start out queer, but got a lot gayer by the end. Um, Facebook came out the same time that how did it work? I got Facebook. It was like around the same time that um, the movie Whip It had come out. It's such um, a good movie. And amazing and really underrated, honestly. And um, I wasn't going to use my, Joanna's actually my mom's last name. Both off people from the Midwest. I think they're used to <laughs> Polish names with lots of consonants. And then they see <laughs> all the vowels and they just give up. <laughs> my given name is even harder to pronounce and when it's mispronounced it's terrible it wouldn't be that hard if someone wants to google it and figure it out but it suffice it to say it's the kind of name that every time my name was ever called on a roll call for my entire life the entire room bursts out laughing oh, so damn. yeah like studies should be done on people that have embarrassing last names and like their self-esteem no and- for real <laughs> so Anyway, yeah, I wasn't going to use that for Facebook. My middle name is Ruth. And then the movie Whip It came out. And Elliot Page's derby name in the movie is Babe Ruthless. And I was like, Ruthless, that's my name, Babe Ruthless. So it was Sarah Ruthless. (laughs) And my Facebook name since Facebook existed. After school, I was in Indiana for like a year and a half. Wasn't supposed to be that long. And then when I finally like made my way... Got my shit together, you know, got it out of my system, got my shit together. I went to school for performing. I couldn't afford to go back to Canada. I, I knew that I couldn't afford New York or LA. 
And I was like, hey, Chicago's like right there. That's a lot easier to move to. So when I moved there, I legally changed my name to my mom's last name. But looking back on it now, I really wish I just legally had the balls to change it to Ruthless. <laughs> yeah, because like changing a name is a bitch. I just finished yeah, you the just process. That. That's right. It is such a pain in the ass. Did you have to go to court? No, fortunately, I didn't have to go to court. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. When I did in Indiana, they like had me in the same room as all the people that were getting divorced. <laughs> it was, I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed people get divorced in court. I don't know why you would, but it is. No. It is so bizarre. They make you do, I don't know, like, I guess other people who've gotten divorced know this. I had no idea. It's like a reverse wedding. You have to go up in front of the judge and like do a reverse vow. And be like, do you like solemnly vow that like this marriage is definitely fucked? And they're like, I do, I do. And they're like, okay, we declare you divorced. And I was the only person like getting my name changed. And the judge calls out my given name. The whole courtroom laughs. And he's like, well, I guess that's why you're getting your name changed. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. And then he says, and you're changing it to Joannu? Huh. And that was the first moment it occurred to me. Oh my God. No one knows how to pronounce this name either. What have I done? It was way too late. Oh <laughs> so, my God. Yeah. Oh, my stomach Low is learning over here. There's a part of me that would love to see you in a film with Elliot Page because oh the two of you look like siblings. Okay, here's the thing that I don't know how to process yet. I did not look like Elliot Page when he was a girl. Like, I never, ever got called. No one ever made that comparison. I have one of those faces that people are like, oh, skinny, white, androgynous person with short black hair. You look like this other skinny, androgynous, white person with black hair from this movie. I get that a lot. <laughs> Never once in my life did I get you look like Elliot Page when he was, you know, presenting as a, as a lady. But now that he's Elliot Page and on testosterone, he, there were just, because his book is coming out, like he's doing all these photo shoots. And I think the last one that was like for Variety or something, there's a couple of them that I'm like, dude, that's my fucking face. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to make of that, but... <laughs> No, exactly. If I was like, a slightly like, hotter man, I'd look like Elliot Page. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So whenever Whip It came out, were you still in the evangelical church or were you out of it by that time? You know, it's interesting. My parents don't actually identify as evangelical, but I don't know what else to call them. Like that is the name that most succinctly describes my upbringing we started out like I don't know basic Protestant something or other and then like progressively got more into like charismatic non-denominational we started attending a vineyard church when I was nine or ten then when I was 12 moved to Kona so that they could join the YWAM base which is also have you heard of YWAM do you know YWAM yeah and I actually know someone who went to Kona for Ooh. YWAM it's it's the, it's a big base. It was the first YWAM base ever. So it's like the it's like the mothership. It's the most popular one. Yeah. Also, you it's know, in, you know, fucking Hawaii. This is bringing up some hard feelings for me, actually, Sarah, because I asked this person to bring me back Kona coffee, and they did not. <laughs> I I wish I still had connections there. I could totally hook you up. But damn, I, I think maybe I could revisit Hawaii now. It, It'd be weird. It'd be hard. That would be strange because with having it be such a big base, then I'm guessing if you were to go back there that you would probably run into people that you knew. Yeah, I don't know. I was just talking about this the other day with someone who used to be in YWAM. We both consider YWAM a cult, but I feel yeah. that's only because that's like the closest word we have for 
what it is. Mm-hmm. I think when someday like Netflix or Hulu gets a hold of what the fuck YWAM is and it's like, oh, we have to make a docu-series about this. This is fucked up. Like, how have they not done that already? They're going to have to invent a whole new word for it because it's decentralized. Like, there's not a cult leader. There mm-hmm. is the YWAM guy leader, Lauren Cunningham, who like invented it, but his whole thing is like a hydra, like all these little bases that shoot off and start their own bases. So each base kind of operates like a cult. But even the base leader doesn't work like a cult leader because they all like report back to Lauren. But also like there's no accountability. There's a hierarchy, but there's no accountability. So anytime someone does something like questionable or fucked up, they just get moved to another base. Any shitty behavior or like systemic abuse gets swept under the rug and just moved somewhere else, which is why I think they've gotten away with financial abuse and spiritual abuse and all sorts of other horrors for so many years. And unfortunately, this happens so much in different denominations that have yeah. a convention and like a really evil MLM. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be said of, yeah, again, like a lot of, a lot of uh, religious organizations, but YWAM is particularly insidious. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. It's not, I just started watching the fucking um, series about the Duggars, the Duggar family Mm -hmm. and watching that. I'm like, oh my God, my childhood could have been so much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, we might hold like a measuring stick to trauma, but at the same point, I mean, you know, yeah. it doesn't do much for us of holding up that measuring stick and stuff. No, but, for sure. Playing, you know, playing the who had more trauma game, like there's no real winner there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's a pretty sticky game there. You know, I just I'm glad that they're finally making documentaries about this because I think it was so misunderstood. I left the Baptist church 10 years ago. Whenever I left the Baptist church, then people were like, oh, you were sheltered. Oh, that's not the word. <laughs> no, for it. no, it's not. I think that it's like people who did not grow up in these different high control groups that whenever they watch the documentaries they're like oh now it makes sense about this person and they can start piecing together yeah yeah truly the friend that I was talking about she was a YWAM kid when I was in high school too we went to the same high school then she like did YWAM after school and then got out and ended up in an abusive relationship and we recently reconnected she's out of that relationship she's doing much better now but we were kind of bonding over the fact that like we both ended up in really abusive situations when we were really young Christianity and evangelicalism as a whole I think grooms people especially people socialized as well to end up in super abusive situations. Oh, Um, absolutely. I just know so many, so fucking many. It's awful. YWAM is just a whole other layer on top of that. Mm -hmm. She said that it was actually through watching the docuseries. It was like some Mormon cult keep sweet and obey that was- <gasps> yes yeah oh my gosh it was, yes it was actually through watching that series while she was in this relationship that she started realizing she was in an abusive relationship wow. <laughs> like isn't that amazing though I'm so fascinated by that like I practice as a therapist mm-hmm. and I find that a lot of times whenever I ask a person have you experienced trauma before people don't acknowledge different things as traumas like it'll be mm-hmm. a couple months down the road of being like oh you were held at gunpoint do you (laughs) consider that to be traumatic (laughs) no it was just normal so there's these things where it's like if you grew up in that environment and it's considered normal yeah 
then you it's have no like, idea what abnormal is. There's no exactly. baseline. <laughs> so, I mean, then growing up in YWAM, did you do the kind of Christian drama back then whenever you were participating in religion? Wait, what do you mean by Christian drama? <laughs> okay, so there was this thing that I experienced from different churches that I went to where they would do evangelical skits oh, of like trying to convert video? people. <laughs> yes, yes. What a horrible name. Did they call them that where you were from? Where, when you did. Human they videos, did. why? And there was always that one, um, the lighthouse skit sketch. I think you know, I know the lighthouse If you heard sketch. the song and saw it, you'd be like, oh, no, I know that. It's, it's basically like the colored bead bracelet, like the gospel you know the bracelet it's like that skit form where like you start out and there's like this girl and she's wearing like a black shirt and then and then she's like with god in the garden and then she's like tempted by all the different like demons and they're all just like kids wearing shirts with things that say like greed lust (laughs) i don't know (laughs) like suicide like there's like we were like 11 what the fuck were we doing (laughs) and then they like slowly like drag her down and then like she can't reach jesus and they're like pulling her back and then jesus like gets in front of all the demons and jesus is always like the hot white guy and (laughs) and then he like in the act of like holding the demons back he's like shapes his body like he's on the cross and then the and then like she rips her shirt her black shirt wearing a white shirt underneath and then like yay she's saved it or something no you're not i'll send you the link i feel like (laughs) if you heard the song you probably recognize it (laughs) i need to watch this so bad oh my gosh yeah Whenever I would get typecast for these kinds of skits, I would like nine times out of 10 get typecast as the sinner. Yeah, oh, big time. I'm like, what vibe am I giving off Yay. here right now? You know, <laughs> did you typically get cast as oh, a sinner too? Big time, actually. One of my favorite <laughs> stories. This fucking girl, Rebecca, if you're listening, how dare you? At YWAM, there was a film school and they would have a, a loose quotations, film school. None of this is accredited. Like you get these like paper degrees that are absolutely meaningless in the real world. Like it's such a fucking scam. And so much, so fucking expensive too. But anyway, kids would be like making their little like student films and they're all just basically like even worse human videos. And there was one and they, so they would do, like hold auditions and this popular, you know, the good girl, Rebecca was going to be cast as like the sinner who like redeems herself in one of these movies. And I distinctly remember her coming up to me at school and being like, Hey, can I borrow some of your clothes? And I was like, why? And she was like, well, I'm going to be cast as a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like need clothes that look like I'm like really sinful. <laughs> Rebecca, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like the one goth kid at school. So like, I, I get it, but also like, fuck you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what? This actually makes sense now because I was emo, but then I had to wear dresses below my knees. So I would like so try funny. to make it emo. So yeah. I would have the vest going on, you know, with the tie. (laughs) And then I, oh, these were so cool. I Mm -hmm. want to find some some shoes like this. So if you find some shoes like this, let me know because I'm going to buy them again. (laughs) But they look like men's Oxford, except it had a cutout at the toe and then it had a stiletto. And I think 
these shoes kept typecasting me as a sinner because I just felt, you know, cool as hell wearing these shoes. Yeah, they were awesome. This was like a hot topic purchase, I'm assuming. You know, I actually think I got them at Kohl's. The heels alone were pretty sinful. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it was like Kohl's was going through this era where they had things that were kind of like Avril Lavigne Ask yeah, yeah. at that time my mom had Kohl's cash mm-hmm. and yeah, no, I, I know. it was like you know I'm gonna use those Kohl's cash dollars Tumblr emo era we all made choices <laughs> <laughs> we did we did how did you start breaking out of that typecast as you started moving out of religion the whole time I was in high school and I, I tried really hard I really really tried But the whole time, it felt like I was the one guy in the zombie movie that, like, got bitten and is trying to hide it. (laughs) You know, where everyone's like, you look kind of sick. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. This is normal. I look just like everyone else. I am not turning into a zombie. (laughs) Because that was the worst thing, right? Is, like, that you become lukewarm. And, God, how many times did I stand up and pledge my life to God again? And I just, I never felt it. I never heard the voice of God. I think that was probably the beginning of my undoing was I went to this tiny private Christian high school in Hawaii that was composed of predominantly YWAM kids. And the way that the charismatic flavor influenced their brand of Christianity, everyone heard the voice of God. Everyone was just like hearing the voice of God. My father in particular, (laughs) like our whole life was determined by my father hearing the voice of God and then deciding to move us to different places. And it really pissed me off that my mom never seemed to hear the voice of God, just he did. (laughs) Bombastic side eye. (laughs) And and then like, and then, you know, I went to the school and there were like other kids that could hear the voice of God. And then I just felt like the one cat that like kitty litter or kitty litter, Jesus, what is it called? Catnip doesn't work on. No, if we're giving catnip to kitties and there's one that's like, I don't get it. What's happening? Yeah. (laughs) Everyone freaking out. Like, (laughs) no, exactly. I felt like the one that like, didn't, it just wasn't working on me. And then I, and then I became the zombie guy. I was definitely like the badass, like punk kid in my high school that like spent most of my lunches in detention because I would get into arguments with teachers being like, that doesn't make sense. Why is being gay actually against the law, but we still eat shrimp and wear clothes made out of different fibers. Are we sure that's what Paul meant when he said that? Also, I think I hate Paul. I was so frustrated. No one was giving me answers that made any sense. I just saw hypocrisy everywhere. Everyone seemed to be faking it and I felt like the only person who was like I, ugh, like how are, how is this working for you guys this shit's making me sick but I tried I kept trying mm-hmm. I didn't want to be like the one muggle in the room I didn't want to be the one idiot like I wanted to get it so badly every time I bumped into something that didn't make any sense I felt like I just kept putting it in like a box in another room like okay well got into an argument with this teacher that doesn't make any fucking sense I'll put that in this box oh creation versus evolution that doesn't make any sense at all I'm gonna put that just put that in another box and Oh, the whole, you know, garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why wouldn't God want us to have knowledge? Doesn't that kind of make him the bad guy? Can't deal with that. I'm going to put that in a box. There's several boxes devoted purely to Calvinism. God. (laughs) Yeah. And then it just gets really crowded with all these boxes. Well, then it was like one day I looked up and I was like, oh, all of my boxes are in this other room. (laughs) Like, I don't even live here anymore. (laughs) 
Yeah. I'd moved out before I realized it. And Mm. once I was in college, that makes sense. Didn't have to go to church. I lived in a, in a house with a, a, a group of girls who were really sweet, who had like really untraumatic Christian upbringings. The moody one who swore a lot and wore eyeliner and like smoked cigarettes and drank beer. And, and I didn't, and they wanted to take me to church and I tried going with them and I would have panic attacks in the parking lot. I didn't realize that's what was happening at the time. I was just like, oh, I'm chain smoking and I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, I'm like, oh no, I was having like, a deeply physical reaction. <laughs> like, I, yes, everything in my body was like, do not fucking go into this place. College I went to was technically Christian, very Christian actually, but I was in the theater department, which was like its own little island. Like, it's where all the the queer <laughs> kids and all the goths and all the like fuck ups went. So like. We didn't fucking, we weren't partaking in any of that. Like we were the weirdos. Yeah. And we still had conversations about God, but they were like a lot more nuanced and just allowed for like a lot, a lot more room, you know, going to college was like, I broke up with church and I was like, okay, so I just like, can't do church anymore. Like that just yeah. doesn't work for me. You know, people used to always try and say, I'm sure you've heard this a lot too. Like, you know, it's not, God didn't let you down. People let you down. Like that's <laughs> not, and I was like, I was always so frustrated by that besides the obvious fact that it's like super demeaning to my intelligence. Yeah. Day one stuff, you know, you learn that everyone's born dirty, broken and sinful. I know people mm-hmm. are fucked up. I'm not basing this situation and my feelings about this religion off of the people. I'm basing it off of God. And I just wanted to get people out of the way because they were messy and confusing. So I got church out of the way. I got the people out of the way. And then it was just me and God. And I realized, oh no, <laughs> you might be the drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I'm just really amazed as you're talking about this and being in all these different religious environments. And yet you kept questioning, you would have consequences for questioning, and yet you kept going forward. And I'm wondering, like, what was that drive for you that kept you going forward, even whenever getting consequences by these people? At least in high school, I think it was made really complicated by the fact that my father was raised super Catholic. Like, he was an altar boy. He, you know, he saw the fucking smoke and mirrors. And he was like, as a teenager, like, fuck this. I want to find, like, the real God, the real religion. And tried a bunch of shit out and ended up joining Campus Crusades, just like the worst, the most poorly named religious endeavor ever. Like, did you guys ever read a history book? (laughs) Oh my God. Um, It's so horrible. Like whenever I hear them talk about that, because I would question that, they would like defend the Crusades. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, this is so problematic in many, many ways. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. And then through that, like, then veered into YWAM and basically like got into super, like he grew up with the, like the strict, rigid, like hymns and stand up, sit down. One guy at the front is telling you things and then you just follow the rules and then everyone leaves and lives their own shitty, sinful lives. And he was like, fuck this. I want authenticity. I want realness. Like authenticity was like, our family fucking crest. And so, you know, he became a seeker of all things authentic. And that's where he like leaned into the charismatic movement. So he was like totally rebelling against his upbringing by going into like, you know, charismatic vineyard church spaces. And then YWAM, like he, he was a a teacher at YWAM and we get flown all over the world 
to teach on his two main subjects were the father heart of God and spiritual warfare. He was like the professor you know, against <laughs> the dark arts. Seriously. Like, <laughs> like how to see demons and how to fight them. 101. That was the environment. And so anytime I tried to be like, dude, this shit is fucking fake. Everyone's faking it. I hate mm -hmm. here. None of this seems real. None of it makes sense. My dad would be like, you're right. That's because you're a prophet, Sarah. Like you have the gift of discernment. You're seeing all through all this shit. And I was like, no, no, like, like you're full of the shit though. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite brave enough to say that yet. I hadn't quite connected those dots yet. Cause you know, he was my dad, but I, anytime that I was, that I, I did bump up against this, like, I think this doesn't make any sense. It was like reinforced. And then I was like moved in another direction. Of like, mm. yeah, that's because you're a prophet. That's because you're seeing it. That's because God's calling you to be an authentic voice for the people. And I was like, okay, okay I, I guess <laughs> maybe, but like, I don't know. It sort of feels like a lateral move. I don't feel like I've solved anything here. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I was told similar things. Hmm, I was told you have the gift of prophecy yeah. or discernment. Mm. And we should run a study on how many people got the gift of discernment who are now no longer in the faith. <laughs> you know, I am very curious about people who left high control groups and then came out as queer and that how many of us were typecasted as villains or cool. had the gift of discernment or prophecy. And then, and then whenever... you really want to fuck up your data, add in neurodivergence. <laughs> neurodivergence too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it was just because we were seeing through the shit and then speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then what the perception is of, of that. And I'm wondering, like, in him saying that, did it seem like he was encouraging you to speak the truth or was that something to silence you in a way? I still don't know, honestly. Yeah. Like, I don't speak to my parents very often. And when we do, it's generally pretty superficial. Like, hey, just making sure you're alive. Need to like get a few hot beats on what you're up to so that when people ask, we can make it sound like we have a relationship with you. <laughs> but my, I've always been a writer throughout any of my like theater and performance days. I, I was always writing. That was actually how I got out of a lot of human videos was I just was the writer. <laughs> and I didn't have to like actually put my face on any of it. Um, but I've always been a writer and my father's always been very supportive of it. And to this day, the very few times we speak, he always encourages me to keep writing. Huh. And I like, don't know if he knows <laughs> like <laughs> what I'm writing. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's like on some subconscious level, he like wants to be found out, you know? Yeah. Found out like he's done anything evil. It's just, I don't know. He's more drawn to like the idea of like rebellion and exposing the bad guys than he is about actually doing it you're gonna be is it releasing performing god is naked yes so yeah during the pandemic i was like oh finally i all i've ever wanted is to like quit my job and just like write my memoir just write about my weird fucked up life perfect opportunity so i started writing and then after like 10 months and like 300 pages i was like i might need therapy <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to work with here. Oh no. <laughs> um, and like, and during that, I also read this book called You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch. Oh, it's so I good. 
highly recommend it to absolutely everyone. That was the first time I'd ever heard the words religious trauma. Mm. And the way she writes about it and how much I identified with, like, and also yeah. uh, high demand religion or like high control. Talking about the CPTSD mm -hmm. from rapture trauma, like, yeah. it felt like I was coming out of a coma. Like mm -hmm. all of these things that I'd never had language for before suddenly had names. I, I was just drowning in the sea of like new information and finally like stitching together all this shit for my past and being like, oh, I, I'm beginning to see what was going on here. Holy shit. And then I decided to take this writing class over Zoom that was uh designed for solo shows for like writing your own solo show and I was like yeah I haven't performed in years but decided like yeah I love performing I haven't done it in so long and I love writing these two things go perfectly together and through that class started honing together what would end up becoming that piece I'm still taking a class with the same woman she's phenomenal I've written act one and act two I think it's going to be about four acts like about an hour and a bit but the first part's definitely down pat and so I, I got to perform that this January at um as part of a like a solo festival and then I will be performing it again um in holy shit 10 days oh my god we'll be doing two weekends June 16th through the 25th it's at the Madison Street Theater in Oak Park, just outside of Chicago. That is so exciting. Oh my yeah, gosh. I'm very excited. <laughs> okay. There's this roller derby in the area where you're at. I'm wondering with your name coming from Whippet, <laughs> do you watch local roller derby or is that not something that you go see? Were you talking about a roller derby in Chicago? Yeah. Oh no. I've been meaning to check it out and get into it. I should poke around more. Important question here. Mm-hmm. If you could create a roller derby pack with five Bible characters, who would they be? <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, Yael immediately. Um, <laughs> who, who killed the dude with a tent peg after fucking him all night. Um, that's a part, by the way, not everyone knows that. They, they edit that part out of the Bible. They're like, oh, she gave him a warm cup of milk and then he fell asleep. Yeah, no, she fucked him so hard he passed out. And then she drove a tent peg through his skull. You know how hard you have to like, I don't know physics, but that, yeah, she's on my team. <laughs> I'm crying um, right now. And then I'm just going to go with this and say Delilah and Jezebel. Oh, yeah. For the aesthetics. And um, how many do I get? Five? Yeah. Mm. And I mean, it was like Jezebel sent like some, like, wasn't there something about like wild dogs or something? I don't know. She was like very resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. No, she she was a smart bitch. She she got eaten by wild dogs. Um, unfortunately, that's oh, wild dogs. Okay, I got from. the reverse. She, yeah. <laughs> but no, she was like, <laughs> she was basically like a socialist pagan chick who just like you know was like running a perfectly competent kingdom and then elijah comes along and is like she's a pagan we gotta burn her and then they do um, more or less <laughs> and like delilah if she was in this derby squad and stuff like i i could just see her pulling hair you know mm -hmm. oh my god yeah that'd be her move oh that'd be it so would fun. be <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah then jezebel would just be the really hot one yeah, I'll totally. have the tent peg. Okay, if we're gonna keep doing this, then yeah, then I'm gonna say um, Rahab. Rahab, <gasps> right? 
yes. a scarlet cord. That would be her move. She'd have like a scarlet rope that she like whips people with, or not whips, but like, you know, like tight, like a lasso, like just knock people over. Used to, like trip people too. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, oh my God. This is getting really good. Someone should write a graphic novel about this. I don't have the gumption, but someone out there should. This, I would, I'd watch six seasons in a movie of this. Um, me too. Yeah. Me too. Okay, then I got one more. Um, you know what? Just for like, the drama as a curveball. I'm gonna say Ezekiel. I don't know what drug oh. that man was on. <laughs> First of all, big NB energy. I'm gonna just I'm just from here on out, it's canon. Ezekiel's a they them. It's a very they them name. And uh, yeah, I think I think they just have they're the chaos factor. They're like the canon chaotic bisexual. I, I'd love to see, I'd love to see what they come up with. Cause like <laughs> Yeah, imagination that knows no bounds. And I assume endless supply of mushrooms. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the dream team. I stand by that. Oh, yeah. Hey, I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have tattoos. Yes. When did you start getting your tattoos? Oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. Um, my first tattoo. Oh, I hate this so much. Um, so listen, listen. Like, <laughs> a lot a lot of folks who grew up the way we did have a lot of embarrassing tattoos of the religious variety my first one wasn't the worst i've seen i give myself bonus points for creativity but like immediate <laughs> negative points for complete lack of like research into what the fuck i was doing and like really ignorance in the like whiteness department so yeah i'm really oh, no. setting this up to sound terrible i loved the book song of solomon when i was in high school <laughs> because i was sexually repressed and um it's like i don't know i just really like the book that describes boobs a lot i don't know why <laughs> it's in the bible it's okay oh my gosh i was the same way i would be like every february i would be like this is my little treat i'm gonna read this for valentine's day <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah i like feel that yeah um, so there was there's a passage in it that like objectively the poetry is beautiful the passage i don't even it's like in i think it's chapter one verse four or five if i recall and the line is dark am i yet lovely uh which i always really dug because i was like a little goth kid um totally misunderstood that the woman writing the poetry is referring to the color of her skin because she's been working oh, the field no. she's like one of solomon's concubines and it's like so nice of solomon to still like her even though she has melanated skin yeah totally missed that i was like no it's because she's like dark emotionally I was like deep in my timber and era. It's, I'm not proud of it, but that's what happened. So my first tattoo was also the placement is just heinous. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I, I but it's like, in, imagine a tramp stamp, but like at the top. So it's like, it was between my shoulder blades. I think I thought it would be like to hide as an actor. No, the fuck it's not. Shirts don't cover between your shoulder. Like, what was I? Like, like not even between the shoulder blades, like the top of my, like below my neck, it was so dumb. And because I was like 17 at the time, I like had to find a friend of a friend who would tattoo it, who used way too thick of a needle. So oh, no. it was totally blurry and completely illegible. 
So like I get to Christian college and everyone's like, oh my God, this is a badass. You have a tattoo. What does it say? And I think at the time everyone thought it said like back, am I get lonely? I'm like, sure. That's what it says. Like, I didn't get that covered up until like two years ago. Um, oh man. Giant hawk which is a, a bird that used to like send messages to the underworld or something. I don't know. The point is it's fucking covered up. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if it wasn't covered up, we could start a GoFundMe and help <laughs> you get this covered up. <laughs> I, you know, there's like a lot of lovely like tattoo artists out there that run programs and like events, folks that need to cover up super racist tattoos that they got. And then like now regret or like tattoos to cover up like self-harm scars. And I really think there should be one for like, tattoo artists to offer discounted or free tattoos for people that had fucking Christian tattoos that are horrible. Oh, a hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. For sure. So what is a tattoo then that you really enjoy that you have? Two-way tie between, I have one on my right bicep that's uh, three pomegranates and this tattoo artist, they were in Chicago at the time. Their name is Sema, S-E-M-A. They're now based in Brooklyn. And I picked them because they were known for doing these gorgeous pomegranate tattoos. And I knew I really wanted one. And it wasn't until I was getting tattooed and we were just like chatting. They're also the one who did the hawk on my back, you know, got to talking over the hours and they're Muslim, but they were raised in a like super evangelical mega church in Boston and like then came out as queer, got kicked out of their house, ended up in Chicago and then like came out as non-binary and like fully grew up with like adventures and odyssey and shit they oh my gosh adventures and odyssey no right they said their first their first like sexual awakening crush was oh my god what's her name was it connie connie yes was connie that makes sense oh my gosh this makes so much sense now because connie is totally my type sarah thank you thank you for teaching me i could help wow uh so like yeah i that art they're fucking amazing and it was delightful to connect on that level but yeah the pomegranates which i've also always loved greek mythology i think my love of mythology was part of my way of coping with being a christian growing up was like yeah. oh well, they're all just myths like if i can i just need to think of them like myths like looking back on it yeah i was i was desperately trying to talk my way out of that always loved my inner emo punk kid the myth of hades and persephone yeah but i always liked it because i liked hades <laughs> I always thought he was just a real misunderstood dude. And I mean, all of mythology is pretty rapey. So it's like not, you know, don't base all of your life off of it. But I liked the idea of the basically the forbidden fruit. Hades yeah. and Persephone is more or less just like a slightly more romantic Garden of Eden story. You know, don't exactly forbidden fruit or else you'll end up fucked. So on either on one bicep, I have one arm, I have pomegranates. On the other arm, I have a giant snake. So basically, I've just made deconstruction my whole personality. <laughs> Hey, I love it. No problem with that. (laughs) So something that I've seen with the UK as there's just been more people who have left the church there Mm -hmm. than the US. And so they would take these foreclosed churches, and then they would repurpose them and Mm -hmm. design them into a completely different space. And you're a talented interior designer. And I am wondering if you took your past vineyard church and 
had to repurpose it, Whoa. what would you do? Oh my God. Um, I mean, like the first thing that comes to mind is just like a sex dungeon. I love it. <laughs> just because that would be funny. But um, I wouldn't really want to be practically involved in that endeavor. No shade. I just have too much repressed sexual trauma to unpack and work through before I can actively participate in the sex dungeon world. Um, mm -hmm. We're getting there. Yeah, I think turning any church into like a super fucking queer space is awesome. There's like a somewhat trendy thing for people to buy churches and turn them into homes. And I actually love that idea. And I mentioned that to a friend recently and she was like, but like, why? Like you hate, like, that's so funny. Like she knows my background and like thought it was like so ironic. And I was like, no, but it's like Batman. Like, bat, you know, he like named his thing after the thing that tried to kill him. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, I thought the same thing about a church. Yeah. Yeah. To repurpose a church and make it my home and make it like just a fucking queer, weird, neurodivergent friendly haven for anyone where like the freak show could come, you know, all of the fuck ups could hang out and drink and it could be a safe space. I think that's the most punk rock thing you could do with a church. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you visit Southern Vermont, there's this little town mm. called Brattleboro. Okay. And they have a church there where that's exactly what they did to the church. What kind of church was it though? Because like when I think of turning a church into a home or a space, they, they're generally more like, you know, like the cool ones, like the kind of more Catholic Anglican right. like stained glass windows. And then you said the vineyard church. And I was like, oh, that building is pretty nice. <laughs> Evangelicals do not know how to decorate. <laughs> no, they really don't. <laughs> yeah. Like it's kind of sad that they don't know how to decorate, honestly. But yeah, this church is like an old church. I think maybe it was Episcopalian or Catholic, okay. Methodist. Yeah. So not non-denominational yeah. warehouse structure type yeah, of right. thing, you know? Bad lighting. Ugh. So I noticed that you had created a tarot deck. Yes, I had been working on that. I will revisit it someday. One of my many unfinished ADHD projects. <laughs> So if you could choose a tarot card that represents the part of your life where you're at now, what Whoa. card would that be? Whoa, that is such a good question. You know, I was getting really into tarot during the pandemic and I would do these like daily polls for myself. I don't, are you familiar with tarot? Yeah, I've got a deck and it looks like american style tattoos oh i love that i've seen those those are yeah. so cool it's so, so fun every time i would pull cards for myself i would get some combination that included the um oh, it's either the seven or the eight of pentacles it's the ones that like basically both the cards mean like you're yeah it's, it's the seven the seven of pentacles or the seven of coins seven of pentacles where it's a guy that's like working the earth and he just looks really, really tired. <laughs> and like, he's planted this shit. It's and it's it, he's just got to wait for it to grow. And there's going to be a harvest eventually. But it's just not ready yet. You just got to keep working and keep waiting. <laughs> and I swear to God, like every time I would pull cards for myself, I would get this fucking card. And Wow. I, I do still, I know, right? I was like, oh my God, is this what people felt when they prayed? Like, I get it. 
this is, this is really like validating. This is meaningful. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, you keep putting content out there and I just love what you're putting out there. And mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where this takes you because mm-hmm. you're just, you're so talented and creative and what you're doing is so unique mm-hmm. and just some of your comedy it just moves me to the point of tears like I just I'm like crying and I like watch it a few more times and I'm still fucking crying because it's so funny and like I'll show it to people who didn't even grow up in the church and they find it to be absolutely hilarious too and I just I think that is so cool that you've used comedy and the power of story and creativity and and art in this way to really reclaim who you are. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, yeah, that's all I want to do is help people feel better about where they've been. Like finding the ex-evangelical ex-church kid community on TikTok was the community I never knew that I needed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it was the feeling that I thought I was supposed to get in youth group or in church of like, oh my God, these are people that get it. These are people that know, they know. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Crazy. Like you get it. I said adventures and odyssey and I didn't have to explain it for 10 minutes and then still have you look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) No, for real. And there is this thing in adventures of odyssey so Adventures of Odyssey were these, I, I had the cassette tapes of them, you know, yep. you had to flip them over and yep. everything on and car trips. Walkman. Yep. Yep. And it was just good old Christian propaganda for children. And, yep. <laughs> and there was this uh, diner called West End. Wits End. Wits End. Yeah. They all had horrible puns because it was Mr. Whitaker owned it. So it was Wits oh, yes. End. <laughs> That's right. I went to the real one, I guess, oh in Colorado yeah. Springs. Yeah. What was it like? Oh my God. That's whenever I realized that I was in a cult. Yeah. Of going to focus on the family. That was fucking wild. I had something there that they had on the show, and it was called a Raspberry Ripple. <laughs> yep. and, yeah. And it had the. You could have raspberry or you could have lemonade and it was like a layer of slushy and then soft serve and then slushy, soft serve, slushy, soft serve, blah, blah, blah. And they made it sound so good and mm-hmm. it tasted like shit. <laughs> I love that. I Yeah, good. I just, I think that it's very important for everyone to notice <laughs> if you grew up listening to this. Well, they did. They also had <laughs> cream. Oh, that was also very terrible too. I knew it. I knew it. I can it confirm. Like, <laughs> my parents to explain what that was, and they're and I was like, wait, there's like no eggs or cream in it. Like no, it's like chocolate syrup and soda water. Like, it was terrible. It was so bad. Oh my gosh, it was such a I disappointment. <laughs> what a perfect, what a perfect analogy for all of it. <laughs> I know it. I know. Well, hey, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice about liberation, what would that be? All the rules are made up. Every rule is made up. Yeah. Like you don't have to follow a rule just because someone older than you said you did, or someone that your parents said you should trust said you did. Question everything. Like I, on the one hand, looking at my adolescence. It seems like I was really rebellious and, and I was compared to a lot of other kids and questioned a lot and wrestled with a lot. 
but there was so much that I simply just accepted and yeah. was like, okay, I guess that's just how that is. I guess this is just what relationships are supposed to feel like. I guess that's just what God wants for my life. I guess there was so much I just shrugged off and allowed. And I wish I'd, I wish someone had given me permission to question more. <laughs> like mm. I, I was barely scratching the surface. I mean, God, if I could go back and do it again, get angrier, <laughs> ask more questions, meet more people. Thank you so much for joining Sarah and me on the Liberated Porch podcast today. If you liked what you heard, please rate, subscribe, like, share this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.